Thank you, Matthew. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and as Chairman of Christians and Science, I should have an excuse to, to come amongst you as, as the one person who's here as well, rather wise or brave over the years. So thank, thank you for letting me be here with you. Um, our first speaker this morning is uh, Peter Williams. Uh, you may know there are a number of Peter Williams who are eminent Christian speakers. This is Peter S. Williams. Uh, uh, Peter's a philosopher, so we have an imposter in that Peter's a good friend to, to, to many of us. He, uh, he's graduated in philosophy, uh, a number of postgraduate qualifications in philosophy, and uh, works for Demaris at the moment, and also has his assistant professorship in, in Norway, which sounds like a good place to go in some lecture. <laughs> Peter's got a number of books, uh, a couple of books I think on the bookstore. Remind me of the title of the one on sheet. So it's a wish I could believe in meaning as Skeptic's Guide uh, to Atheism that you might want to look at. And I think Peter's um, ready to sell into you at a discount price as well. Uh, so without further ado, let's have uh, Peter come and speak. So there should be time again for questions. Uh, and Peter's going to talk about his Christianity unscientific. Marvellous. Thank you very much, Keith. Uh, yes, I've got multiple copies of this, only one copy of the other one, I'm afraid. Um, this is my more recent one until my new book comes out next year. Uh, quick plug for that, Understanding Jesus, Five Ways to Spiritual Enlightenment is the subtitle. But this one's uh, mainly a, a reply to the New Atheist Movement, and there is a whole chapter in here on uh, the kind of uh, science and religion uh, discussion that that raises. I'll, I'll sell it to you for the knockdown price of a tenner today. There you go. So, um, is Christianity unscientific? If you've read my abstract, you see I'm going for a typical philosopher's answer, which is yes and no. Kind of, it depends what you mean by. Philosophers often uh, start answering questions by saying, well, it depends what you mean by. And I think it really does depend what you mean by, for example, science, which that question in itself could be the, the subject of an entire lecture series. Um, being unscientific, by contrast, and what you mean by Christianity, uh, of course. I'd like to set some context by quoting um, some provocative words from Sam Harris. Um, I've got a bit of a croaky voice this weekend, so I'm hoping my voice is going to last out for this talk. This is Sam Harris talking about uh, James Watson and Francis Collins. Says James Watson, the co-discoverer of the structure of DNA, a Nobel laureate, and the original head of the Human Genome Project, recently asserted in an interview that people of African descent appear to be innately less intelligent than white Europeans. A few sentences spoken off the cuff resulted in academic defenestration. Watson's opinions on race are disturbing. But his underlying point was not in principle, and those have highlighted this term, unscientific. We'll try and hold this one as well. There is at least a possible scientific basis for his views. While Watson's statement was obnoxious, one cannot say that his views are utterly irrational or that by merely giving voice to them he has repudiated the scientific worldview, declared himself immune to its further discoveries. 
such a distinction would have to be reserved for Watson's successor at the Human Genome Project, Dr. Francis Collins. Why? Well, because Francis Collins is a Christian, obviously. So what is science? It's a much disputed question among philosophers of science, but here's my stab at introducing this. The term itself originally just means uh, knowledge in the Latin, scientia, just a discipline of knowledge. But more specifically, in the sort of modern sense of the term, here's my stab at a definition. Science is a first-order discipline involving systematic inquiry into the physical world, the primary aim of which is to know, that is to understand, explain, and or predict, as much as we can about physical reality. The fact that it's a first-order discipline means that questions about the nature of science are not uh, questions of science. They are rather second-order philosophical questions about science. The fact that the focus is on physical reality first-order scientific knowledge of physical reality does not and cannot exclude philosophical knowledge of any non-physical realities that there might be. Science is not the same thing as naturalism, as materialism, as a worldview. And this means that science is neither epistemologically nor ontologically omnicompetent. That is a fancy philosopher's way of saying science doesn't embrace all the ways there are of knowing stuff or tell us about everything that we could know about. What about defining Christianity? Well, the first ever gospel message preached by St. Peter, and it was recorded in uh, the book of Acts, written by Luke, and there's an interesting sentence after the gospel message is preached for the first time at Pentecost. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They heard what was being pronounced, which was a set of truth claims, a set of beliefs uh, centred around Jesus. They had an attitudinal response to what they heard. It cut them to the heart. And because of that set of beliefs that they'd heard and their, their attitudinal response to what they made of those beliefs, they asked, what should we do? What action should we take? Now, this has been a, an area of research for me as well over the last uh, year or so to give a definition of spirituality, which is often a term that's banded around in rather vague senses. But here's my definition of, of spirituality in general. It's a way of relating to reality via worldview beliefs, attitudes, and behaviours that flow out of those. So we relate to ourselves, to each other, to the world around us, most importantly to whatever we conceive of as ultimate reality. And we do this in this kind of three-part schema of beliefs, attitudes and actions. 
Um, Jesus, of course, taught that true spirituality uh, was to receive God's offer of forgiveness and relationship made in himself, and thus to respond to God, to love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your strength. That is, your attitudes, your thinking, including your worldview, of course, and what you do, your actions. So you could kind of diagram Christian spirituality like this. Love God with all of your beliefs, attitudes, actions, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a, a general schema of spirituality that different spiritualities would fill out in different ways. And this is the particular way that Christianity fills that schema out. So is Christianity unscientific? Well, in the modern sense of the term, obviously, for something to be unscientific would merely be for it to be something besides a first-order discipline, the primary goal of which is to know as much as we can about physical reality. So, in the sense that Christianity isn't science, well, Christianity is unscientific, obviously, yes. But then, philosophy is unscientific. Art is unscientific. Jam making is unscientific. The list could go on. None of these things are any the worse for being unscientific. I think really the question that I've been asked to deal with is probably this. Is Christianity anti-scientific? A response to an accusation like Harris's when he says unscientific. If it's an accusation, then really it's the accusation that it's anti-scientific, not merely unscientific. And being anti-scientific would, of course, given our definition of science, mean being in active opposition to some essential element of science. So, for example, uh, disagreeing with scientific theory X whatever that theory might be, doesn't in and of itself make one anti-scientific. I mean, after all, theories can be scientific without being true, and scientists do tend to disagree about things rather a lot. Adopting an anti-scientific position may lead one to rejecting some scientific theory or other. But the fact that someone rejects some scientific theory or other, doesn't prove that they've adopted an anti-scientific position. There's an entailment in one direction, but not in the other direction. Rather, being anti-scientific means being committed to some position, a belief, an attitude, an action, that's in tension with something that unifies, that unifies participants in the scientific project when they have scientific disagreements. So what's objectionable, actually, about rejecting a scientific theory for anti-scientific reasons isn't the rejection of a scientific theory, per se. One can do that without being anti-scientific. Rather, it's the fact that one flouts some epistemic virtue, some way that one ought to think about things. <coughs> some way that one ought to think about things that's bound up in the wise practice of being rational, 
per se. As Christian philosopher Stuart C. Hackett says, science in this narrow sense cannot function without employing universal criteria of knowledge. The charge of being unscientific made by Harris, in that quote from the beginning, therefore, boils down really to the charge that one is irrational. And notice, in the, in the quote that I read out, Harris slid from saying that Francis Collins's faith as a Christian was, in principle, unscientific, to then calling it utterly irrational. He draws a parallel between those two things. So it's the charge that one's flouting or rejecting one or more genuine epistemic virtues. Now, clearly, one's only options for rebutting such a charge are as follows. A, you could show that one isn't flouting or rejecting the relevant purported epistemic value. B, you could show that the relevant purported epistemic virtue should actually be limited in some way, that is, qualified or overridden by some more important virtue, such that it isn't actually flouted by one's position. Or you could see, more radically perhaps, try and show that the relevant purported virtue should actually be rejected as not genuinely rational. Occam's razor is, I think, a good example of this that often comes up in this debate. This is uh, William of Ockham. He's been using his razor as he's a monk, you can see. Uh, it was a principle of parsimony uh, in metaphysics, first of all. Uh, you know, never multiply explanatory uh, 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 terms without uh, necessity, or always choose the simplest, adequate explanation, giving competitors. Or there are various different ways that it's been formulated down the years. But you might often hear the, the objection, well, naturalism as a worldview is simpler than theism as a worldview. At least as a sort of opening gambit in a discussion between the two worldviews. Well, fine, but the virtue of simplicity, I'm going to say, yes, that is an explanatory virtue, that your explanation is simple, but the virtue of simplicity is limited and can be overridden by the greater virtue of explanatory adequacy. Always use the simplest adequate explanation, and being adequate is more important than being simple. Otherwise, one's just being simplistic. So as a general kind of apologetic strategy in the face of accusations that Christianity is unscientific, i.e. read anti-scientific, i.e. read irrational, I would say, happily grant the unscientific status of Christian spirituality, whilst assigning critics the burden of justifying assertions about Christianity being anti-scientific or irrational. The critic must demonstrate that Christian necessarily flouts a genuine epistemic, epistemic obligation as a Christian, as such. So, given a, an objection like heresies or whatever, say so ask these two questions. Does being a Christian actually require one to reject this supposed epistemic virtue that will be lying behind the objection? And that's notwithstanding the actual beliefs, attitudes or actions of any Christians or Christian institutions. 
If the accusation is launched against Christianity, don't treat it as an accusation against Christians or Christian institutions, because these are not the same things. Secondly, is the accusation actually grounded in a sound, a properly formulated, a properly ranked epistemic virtue that is indeed essential to the scientific project? Not merely in a disagreement about particular scientific theories or whatever. These questions relate to, um, question one relates to A that we looked at, and the second one relates to options B and C. And I suggest the burden of proof should rest with the critic to establish that both of these criteria are being fulfilled by their criticism. So let me give you some examples of criticism and how to apply these uh, two points to them. So suppose the objection, here's one a quote from uh, new atheist Victor J. Stenger, and he says, faith means having belief in the absence of supportive evidence and even in the light of contrary evidence. Okay, rebuttal. Fine, whilst science, I would agree with him, repudiates the, the concept of blind faith in the teeth of at least sufficient contrary evidence, certainly. But so does Christianity. This objection from Stenger, in other words, fails to pass criterion one. Doesn't stand up to question one. On the other hand, objection. Christianity repudiates the scientific worldview, as Sam Harris said, in rejecting metaphysical naturalism as a worldview. Rebuttal? Well, certainly, whilst being a Christian entails rejecting naturalism as a worldview, that certainly is an essential entailment of being a Christian, not being a naturalist, a commitment to naturalism isn't an essential element of science. So the objection fails because it doesn't satisfy criterion two. Now, I would suggest that there are overlapping interests between science and Christianity. Although they're not the same thing, although Christianity is not scientific, it is unscientific in the sense defined earlier, this fact doesn't mean that, that Christianity has, has nothing to do with science, as if they live in sort of hermetically sealed compartments. I mean, the, the same thing could be said of philosophy, art and jam making, of course. Thomas Aquinas, back in the 13th century, very famous Christian theologian and philosopher, called theology the, the queen of the sciences, back when science meant scientia, knowledge. Assisted by her handmaiden, philosophy, back in the days when science used to be called natural philosophy. Back to our um, diagram of spirituality. There could be overlapping interests in all of these three areas. For example, if you think about faith's attitudes to the world, surely there would be overlaps of scientific interest in the areas of, of axiology, that is, that is values, thinking about what's right and wrong and beautiful and good and so on. Epistemology, how we know stuff. Community, science is a communal activity, just as Christian spirituality is a communal activity. Both have a vested interest in uh, a sustaining good community. In terms of, of actions, 
surely both would have an overlapping interest in, in ethics, in the ethics of, of research proposals, in uh, the application of scientific knowledge in technology, in uh, things about the environment. And when it comes to beliefs, well, certainly there is an overlapping interest here in knowledge about empirical reality. It's quite hard to define where that overlap is, and Christians disagree over how to draw that overlap, but I think it's fairly uncontroversial to say that there is some overlap there. Now, in each instance that science and Christianity have overlapping interests, you can, of course, ask if their perspectives are incompatible or compatible. And if they're compatible, is it merely a matter of coherence, that is, a lack of conflict between the perspectives? Or perhaps con consonance, that is, the presence of support, mutual or in either direction? Those at least are open questions to come to when there's an overlapping interest. I'm going to very briefly just kind of uh, punt the ball to two quotes on the coherence matter. Uh, Thomas Dixon, in his uh, Oxford book, uh, Science and Religion, a very short introduction, says, although the idea of the warfare between science and religion remains widespread and popular, recent academic writing on the subject has been devoted primarily to undermining the notion of an inevitable conflict. There is at least coherence between the perspectives. And Alistair McGrath in The Twilight of Atheism says the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by any major historian of science. I'm going to push it a little bit further just finally to talk about consonance. Here's a list of some of the philosophical presuppositions behind science that I think have to be made are not justified by science, but they're presuppositions, philosophical presuppositions of doing science, that I think are warranted by a theistic worldview. That there are knowable objective values like truth, goodness, beauty even. That the natural world isn't divine, that pantheism isn't true, that when you're cutting up the frog and experimenting on it, you're not experimenting on God. You're not doing anything impious. The natural world isn't governed by multiple competing or, or capricious forces, like those in, say, Greek polytheism. That the natural world is governed by a rational order. It's not just a hodgepodge. That the human mind is, at least to some degree, able to understand the rational order displayed in the natural world that human cognitive and sensory faculties are at least generally reliable. And that the rational order displayed by the natural world can't be deduced by, from first principles. You can't just go and sit in your armchair and philosophize your way to understanding nature. At least not in whole. Not like someone like Aristotle might have thought. You know, obviously planets go in perfect circles because that's the perfect geometrical shape for them to go in, isn't it? You know, no, actually, you go and have a look at them, and you see they, they don't go in perfect circles. Which means 
that observation and experiment are useful things to do when you're doing science. Ian Barber, in his book When Science Meets Religion, puts it quite well, I think. He says, a good case can be made that the doctrine of creation, as distinct from any particular uh, models of how God did the creating that Christians might hold, but the, the very idea that there is a creator behind the universe, the doctrine of creation helps set the stage for scientific activity. Both Greek and biblical thought asserted that the world is orderly and intelligible, but the Greeks held that this order is necessary and that one therefore can deduce its structure from first principles. Only biblical thought held that the world did not have to be as it is and that the details of its order can be discovered only by observation. Diagram it a bit like this. This wonderful picture of uh, God and Adam and Eve in the garden. If you think that a creator God has made the world around us and he is a rational being with free choice and he's made humanity in his image so that our minds are a pale reflection of the divine mind then not only would you expect the human mind to be able to grasp something of the reality of God to interrelate with God but you'd expect the human mind to be able to grasp something of the nature and structure of the world around us as well. Because the rationality that's displayed in the, the order out there is the same as the ration, rationality behind the rationality at work in here. So you expect the two to marry up. I'd like to end with two quotes from a very interesting British academic, Steve Fuller. This is a couple of years ago now from his uh, book, Descent Over Descent, bit of a punning title. And he says, uh, he's a sociologist of uh, science at uh, Warwick University, I think it is. He says, while I cannot honestly say that I believe in a divine personal creator, no plausible alternative has yet been offered to justify the pursuit of science as a search for the ultimate systematic understanding of reality. Atheism, as a positive doctrine, has done precious little for science. Science makes sense only if there's an overall design to nature that we are especially well equipped to fathom, even though most of it has little bearing on our day-to-day -day animal survival. Humanity's creation in the image of God provides the clearest historical rationale for the rather specialised expenditure of effort associated with science. So, is Christianity unscientific? Well, yes, in that Christianity isn't science. But no, in that Christianity isn't anti-science. No, in that science doesn't claim to be able to know everything about everything. No, in that Christianity is, as Aquinas was putting it, a knowledge tradition. No, in that Christianity actually helped give birth to science. And no, in that theism, at least, provides metaphysical warrant 
for the scientific project by justifying various philosophical presuppositions of science. There we go. Thank you, Peter. Very thought provoking. Get your minds going at the beginning of the day. Um, any questions, please? We've got uh, 10 or 15 minutes so we can put a sign for it. <coughs> Anybody want to kick it off? Uh, yeah, you said that um, science is um, science is necessarily naturalistic or naturalism. Hmm. I've, I've, like, have you heard of Kenneth Miller? Yeah. Yeah, he, I've, I'm reading his book in my mind. He said science is um, the naturalistic search for naturalistic explanations of phenomena. Hmm. So, I, and I think that as soon as you invoke God in science and it stops being science, it starts being philosophy. And so that's, have you heard of the Wedge document? Yeah. So, and that's, they're trying to redefine science to allow God to be used in explanation. Yeah. I think I'd probably disagree with that. So, what okay. Well, I'm kind of, in what I said in that talk, I'm skirting around that whole question, really, uh, deliberately, because there's a distinction to be drawn between uh, metaphysical naturalism as a worldview, an actual commitment to believing that that worldview is true, and what many would call methodological naturalism, um, and the idea that science, by definition, should uh, um, assume, as it were, for the purposes of doing science, that you can explain everything just with reference to the capacities of the natural world itself. That you shouldn't import explanations in terms of God or anything supernatural, say, into science. Now, I didn't make that part of my definition of science, because I do have quibbles with that idea. But neither did I exclude it from my definition of science. I think everything that I've said in the talk could go through um, either way. Um, so uh, you could uh, import a, a methodological naturalism as a part of your definition of science, but that doesn't mean that you're assuming that naturalism as a worldview is true. Or that science can be used to justify a naturalistic worldview or exclude a supernaturalistic worldview. Certainly if it's just part of your, your definition of what you're going to do, that you're, you're not even going to entertain you know, supernatural explanations or things when you're doing science, it would be very odd to then turn around and say, they are, science now proves that you can't have supernatural explanations for anything. Because you've just kind of built that in at the beginning by definition. You've, that's a presupposition you've brought to the doing of the science, not a result you've got out of doing the science. Yeah. What's that? A question in the back there. Oh. Um, I'm not aware of um, Beethoven's work. I think it was Carnegie's or something when he was arguing about names and um, the names of fathers and sons and the properties of names. Hmm. Just in the very last slide, you said Christianity isn't unscientific because it helped give birth to science. But just because it gives birth to science doesn't make it scientific. Like that. Just by that, just that one. Yeah. Absolutely, but because I'm not claiming that Christianity is scientific, I'm saying Christianity is unscientific, but it's not anti-scientific. And I think the fact that Christian beliefs provided a context in which science seems, and indeed historically speaking, seemed to be a rational pursuit to start engaging in, in the, in the modern sense of it, uh, I think that is in itself is a pretty interesting indicator that Christianity is not anti-science if Christianity was one of the driving forces behind doing science. 
uh, and gives you philosophical reasons to justify various presuppositions of science. But absolutely, that does not mean that Christianity and science are the same thing at all. And I'm not claiming that, that that's the case. Yeah. Um, Firstly, could you just bring up the last slide? Yeah. Um, what would you say, just coming to answer the first question, um, what would be the advantages of kind of pros and cons of um, of the methodological naturalism? I mean, I just wondered if you'd go more into depth about why you would object to it or why you would think it's a good thing to adopt as a Christian scientist. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, I think this is a very interesting debate, this one. Um, I would first of all recommend a book to you by an atheist philosopher of science called Bradley Monton, who deals with this in his book um, Seeking God in Science. Um, and he's an atheist philosopher of science with whom I have some large areas of agreement, interestingly. Um, so that's the kind of source you can go to for, for more on this. And, and he argues in that book that um, methodological naturalism, if naturalism as a worldview is true, then that's no problem here. But supposing naturalism as a worldview were not true, and you were dedicated to methodological naturalism in science, well, that leaves open the possibility that the, the, the genuine actual explanation of something that you're trying to explain in the world is a supernatural explanation. But you're committed to avoiding giving supernatural explanations things, which means, he says, that science is no longer the pursuit of the true explanation of things, rather it's a search for the, the best explanation compatible with the assumption that naturalism is true. Now, he then says, you know, there are difficulties in saying that, okay, science, we're going to do science, but it's not the search for truth. I think that's quite an interesting response. One thing I've put into the debate is saying you can make a distinction between what I call soft methodological naturalism and hard methodological naturalism, if you like. Um, hard methodological naturalism would say, don't mention intelligence in explaining anything in science, of intelligence of, of any kind. That would seem to be very hard to reconcile with lots of scientific disciplines which do reference intelligence to explain things. But you can have a soft method methodological naturalism that says, don't mention anything supernatural in science. Okay. Well, then of course, even if the explanation for something is a supernatural intelligence, it's still true to say that it's an intelligence just that you wouldn't mention that you thought it was supernatural within sciences. I mean, for example, if think of the, the debate between uh, mind-body dualists and uh, monists, people who think you just are your brain and people who think, no, there's some genuine reality to you above and beyond your physical self. Do we have to resolve that philosophical dispute before we can do any um, science like psychology experiments or search into um, PSI capacities or forensic science or whatever. Well, no, obviously, we just set that debate to one side and we agree to say, of course, 
people are intelligent and we can use that intelligence to explain things sometimes, but we're going to leave aside the debate about the nature of that intelligence. It would be a possibility at least to, to expand that kind of, of rapprochement further within science so that one still, by definition, said, okay, we're not going to mention anything that's supernatural explicitly, but why not open the possibility of mentioning intelligence in other scientific fields? That might be a sort of halfway house between the, 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 the debate, as it were. I'll leave that to you, Thing 3. I want to go back to this, this statement you made that scientists, to do science, you, you must believe that there is a rational order to the, the universe. And I think, I'm just wondering if, or maybe you could unpack that a bit more, mm. because I think, I don't know if a lot of scientists do think that anymore. Mm. And what, what do you mean by rational order? Mm. Well, it seems to me that a large part of science is, is looking for explanations of things, an explanation being something that, um, an idea that lessens your surprise at seeing certain data, uh, often that we want to try and capture in a mathematical description and relationships and so on, which we will assume hold, generally speaking, that if you did the same experiment on the moon, you know, if, as long as it wasn't an experiment going to be affected by the relevant differences, then you get the same result here. You, know, you get the same result in two labs at the same different sides of the world or whatever. Um, so you're assuming a sort of uniformity to the way that nature works rather than thinking, well, it might work one day on a Tuesday and a different way on a Wednesday if you've had fish. And so there's a sort of that kind of rational, expressible um, order. Uh, and re reputability and, uh, and so on. Certain of those assumptions um, that, I mean, sure would be true if, there were, if the universe just existed uh, by some sort of necessity of its own nature, or if it were created by a, a rational creator, but not if certain other worldviews were true. Um, if you had a worldview within which there were um, you know, competing deities who, you know, there was a deity of the sea and a deity of the weather and so on. And, you know, if one's having a bit of an off day because he got drunk the night before, then one might win the battle over the other. And you're just, you know, you're not going to be able to make some of those assumptions that you seem to want to make in science. Or, uh, and, and again, that argument about can we, can we really rely upon the rationality in here to be able to fathom the rationality out there, at least beyond the bounds of what's useful for survivability. You know, being able to dodge tigers and rocks when they're falling, I, I, you know, we might get as far as Galileo, but getting as far as Einstein, because, it, you know, because our ancestors found it useful to dodge rocks in, in time, you know, um, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, some have argued. So that, that kind of thing, I mean. Hmm. Hi there. <coughs> Sorry. Um, Hi. I was just wondering, uh, I, I found it quite interesting the slide you did on the philosophical presumptions. Yeah. Uh, are those also warranted by atheism? Well, I mean, some of this is going to vary from atheist to atheist. Uh, and some of them, yeah, I mean, obviously, if atheism is true, then polytheism is false for example. Um, 
I think what I would argue is, is theism is the worldview that's going to justify the most presuppositions of science um, in the strongest fashion, or something like that would be the claim. I don't need to claim that everything on the list is a unique pointer to Christianity, but I can build a cumulative case. Um, and it's the kind of case that the, the, the historian of science looking at, you know, why did science originate in Western Europe rather than in China? It's not that you know, the Chinese were less intelligent than Western Europeans. Look at the, some of the technology that they invented a lot earlier than we did over here. Um, and yet they didn't go into the kind of experimental scientific method that, that got developed in, East, in, in Europe uh, and so on. So yeah, that would be my kind of reply to that. Hmm. The first point on my list is that, that there are no objective values. That's something hmm. about the And truth, I would say, hmm. has to fit in inside. But goodness and beauty, hmm. scientific reason. Yeah. Well, goodness, particularly, for example, in looking at the, at the actions part of the sort of spirituality triad, um, are you going to um, invoke objective moral values in disputes about you know, how we share our research and whether we're honest about reporting our research findings and things? Or, or can we justify uh, a workable system on, you know, um, say, utilitarian basics or whatever? It's getting into the whole debate about what is the foundation of, of, of morals uh, and so on. Beauty has certainly been mentioned by a lot of theoretical physicists as a, a, a theory choice criterion. Um, and you can quote a very famous physicist saying things like, you know, if, if your theory doesn't, doesn't agree with the experiment, then, well, maybe the experiment's wrong, but if it's not a beautiful equation, chuck it out. Um, what do they mean when they say it's beautiful? Do they just mean, well, you know, I happen to like it? No, they seem to be saying, you know, all the physicists look at this should, should agree about this. There seems to be some sort of transcendent value about that beauty involved in the mathematical equations and, and so on. Thank you, Peter. I think we'll draw on this discussion. Thank you very much.